This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody, to Journey of Life. Tonight's share should be a Rufus Lema, Bakara Prakhaim Shmuel Ben Uliba, who needs a Rufus Lema. We shall have him in our field. And tonight's share should be a Rufus for him. So we're going through the Sefer Archas Yesher from Rufus Kanyevsky. And we came to this topic tonight, which I'm going to talk about, which is covid for Rabbanim and Tamidah Chachamim. And before I say this year, I have to tell you that as I was preparing it, I heard a niggling voice in the back of my head that was a bit cynical. Not my own voice, somebody else's voice. And I am a little bit concerned that as you listen to this year, you may also have this um, voice in the back of your head that goes off. So I encourage you to listen with an open ear. And that cynical voice will be addressed at the end of this year as we go through. And if you have any questions, of course, we'll talk about that question. But I would just encourage you to listen with an open mind as we go through this topic. Okay? So the idea of Kavid Rabbi and Tamid Chachamim. So Rechaim Knievsky talks about the virtues, and I'll call it the severity, of having proper Emunas Chachamim, Kavid for Rabbanim, Tamid Chachamim, and he talks about how this is one of the most important elements that we have sort of today. Um, we know, I'm sure you know, right, that the idea of even having smicha is is a very serious construct, which, of course, part of it got lost. But the concept of smicha, of a rav even becoming a rav, was, first of all, that he was competent, right, that he knew a certain topic. But a part of that, is also the concept of nitilas rishos. When what does that mean? It means that you could have people who are on extremely high level, but their own rebbe didn't give them permission to yet issue a psak halacha, and therefore, until that Talmud received smicha by his rebbe telling him, "You are now roi lahayra," like you can now paskin, this Talmud was prohibited from giving out psak halacha in front of his rebbe. To the point where the Gemara's talk about how severe it was if he if he transgressed that, meaning he knew what he was talking about. He 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 was holding somewhere where he was recognized, but because his Rebbe had not yet bestowed on him the title of Rav or whatever the case was in each generation, that therefore prohibited him from stepping on his Rebbe's toes. So not only is this idea of giving over to you know Hamidachamim the proper respect given to like the layman. Even Tamid Chachamim to Tamid Chachamim, Tamidim to their Rebbe, a certain amount of covet and Yira that we have, that obviously we have by parents, but the certain covet and Yira that we have, that Rechaim Kineski says this is like one of the most sacred parts of Yiddishkeit. Even we know we don't give, on certain days, we don't give a Hesbid when somebody passes away, but the person's a Tamachacham, they're allowed to. On Pesach, you have. Haseba, right? A person leans. If you're in front of your Rebbe, you don't lean because it's not proper proper respect to your Rebbe the way that you sit in front of him. We know, the Gemara says, that even the way you greet your Rebbe, you don't just say, hey, how you doing? Hey, what's up? You don't pat him on the back. I was once in a shul where a person went over to, to the Rav and he patted him on the back. Patted the Rav on the back. And the Rav turned around in a very serious face, but with a smile, he turned to the person and he said, we, we don't do that. We don't do that to the Rabbi. We don't, we don't pat him on the back. We're not buddies. I'm the Rav, and I love you, care for you. I'll be there for you in your darkest moments and your happiest moments. We we don't pat rabbis on the back. It was a certain chinuch for this person who was like, whoa, 
okay, sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize. Like, I thought you were like you're my you're my you're my friend. We're not friends. I'm the rav, and we don't pat rabbis on the back. It was it was a, a one second line. It was so profound. And again, I think many of us, as you hear this, you you know you think like, yeah, like that that idea would be good in theory. But it's a real concept. The, the, the Mishnah says, right, that the mirror, that the fear that a person has for his Revi or his Rav should be Kamayr Shemayim. It should be mamish like the fear that a person has. Like we talk about Yerushamayim, we spoke about this in the last class. That that translates into having certain fear for Rabbanim as well. Okay, and the last thing I'll say over here on this is the idea of Chalak al Rabbi is Kachalak al Ashkina. Somebody who argues on his Revi is like they argue on the Shkina. It almost sounds like there's this blind trust or this innate concept that a person has to respect Rabbanim, Hamid Chachamim, to listen to them, the way they talk to them, the way they talk about them. And I'm cutting out here probably 80% of the severity that he goes through, stories of people who didn't and they were severely punished, like as far as, you know, Chazal are concerned, that's considered like a severe punishment. But there's a, a real seriousness to this idea of having proper respect for the Chachamim. Rav Liashiv, when he was asked, and this is Rav Liashiv, he wasn't, he wasn't a Makobal and he wasn't into this idea of running around to, you know, just find esoteric things. Rav Liashiv was asked why in, in these past generation or two, you find that there's so many people who are sick with diseases that we almost didn't have years ago, all these different types of things. Rav Liashiv said, oh, it's Pasha, because they used to have a Munas Chachamim so it was like a shmira for them. If you want to have that shmira, you should have a munas chachamim. You should listen to the words of, of, of your chachamim. But nowadays that it became this chummy chummy, like, yeah, I, I hear that's what he says, but I think something different. And because people were breaking down that shield, Rabbi Yasha said that's why it allowed a physical malady to seep into our culture. So the idea of a person having real a munas chachamim is 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 inherent and it's something which Chazal say is so important. Uh, there's two stories which I'm sure everybody knows, which I'll just reference. One is that after we know that after Rav Moshe Feinstein was nifter, Rav Moshe Feinstein was nifter right before Purim, and his 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 um, Levaya took place in Eretz Yisrael on what was Purim outside of Yerushalayim, but he was buried inside Yerushalayim in Har Menuchos. So they did have this bathroom because he was Ramesha Feinstein. And very famously, there was a person who made a, a remark to his friend. Today's Purim and Purim, you're not supposed to have a bathroom. Not supposed to have a bathroom on Purim. And as soon as the Levi was over, this person's head started splitting. Like they rushed into the hospital. They thought he was having something wrong with him. And they asked and they asked. And it turned out that because of that comment, he, you know, he was, he was sort of struck. And he had to go to Ramesha's Tever, where he brought a minion and he asked Mechila, he said, I'm sorry, I spoke disparagingly about you. And instantly his head cleared up. Like the doctor said, like, this makes no sense. But there was like a spiritual malady that was brought into the world that Chachamim are protected. There's also another cute story, which you may have heard, where Rechaim Kanievsky, the very famous story, was learning a certain Gemara. And the Gemara is talking about Chagavim, grasshoppers. The story goes very famously that a grasshopper jumped and sat on his tender while he was learning the Gemara so he could reference every part of the grasshopper. And as soon as he finished, the grasshopper went away. So there was somebody who heard the story and he thought, uh, yeah, right, there's no way in the world that happened. It doesn't bring it in this book, by the way, but, but it's a very famous story, right? When this guy got back to his dira, his whole bed was covered in grasshopper. So he went, ran to Rakan Kanievsky and asked him, Mechila, 
And finally, every time I said, yeah, yeah, no big deal. Yeah, he was Michael. And the guy came back and the grasshoppers were gone. Right? There's like a certain shmira that Hashem put into the Bria that we are careful with the words of the Tamid HaChamim, with the, the concept of Tamid HaChamim, a certain respect, a certain fear, a certain formality that exists with Tamid HaChamim. Now, why is this? Why is this so important? The answer is because in, in our world, we have Torah Shabbat which is obviously the written Torah. But what's more important, and I don't want to say more important, but what's, what's super important is the concept that we have of Messiah, which teaches us not only how to learn up Torah Shabbat to understand what it really means, which is Gemara and Sakalach and all of that, but the Chachamim transmitting from one generation to the next. And therefore, if there's a, a Pigia, if there's something that's wrong, in the transmission, then that trans- transmission will be lost for future generations. We know that the Mishnah says, Maisha received the Torah from Sinai, and he gave it over to Yeshua. Yeshua is a kingdom, is a kingdom of and then it passed down. And then it says that they received it. And we, we know there's a very interesting Russian here that, that gets switched around. Whenever it says, Maisha Kibel, that he received something, it means that he received only whatever he was able to hold. Whereas when they transmitted it to the next generation, Misara, he gave over everything. There's a very famous Gemara, which I'm sure you know. The Gemara talks about how Hillel came to the base Medrash every day. And the Gemara says that Hillel was Machai of the Aniyim. He was the one who was so poor that if somebody's poor and says, I, don't, I can't learn Torah, look at Hillel. Hillel was poorer than anybody you could imagine. And the Gemara says that Hillel used to come to the base Medrash every single day to learn. And one day he came, and he didn't have enough money to pay his way into the base measures. He used to have a toll, and he couldn't pay for it. So the Gemara says, famously, that he climbed onto the roof, and he laid there. He laid there. Why did he lay there? Because he wanted to learn. So he learned. It started to snow, and it snowed all over Hillel, to the point where he was frozen half to death, and he sort of blackened out this skylight that was over the base measures. Towards the end of the day, they looked up and they see, they see an outline of a person. The Gemara says that they climbed on top, they brought him down, they heated him up, and he, w- he survived. There's a very famous question, which is why is it that Hill decided that he has to climb up to the roof? Why did he have to go up to the roof? The answer that, that's given is because Hill technically could have gone to another base medrash to learn. But if you look in the Mishnah in Pirkei it says that Hillel was part of the Shalshelas, the link from one generation to the next. Shammai and Hillel were those two people who had to receive every single word that were given over from their, from, from their Rebbeim, Shammai and Naphtalim. And therefore, he could have technically learned in another, in another base medrash. But the fact that he had to hear these words, whatever was given over today in today's shir, if he wouldn't have heard it in this base medrash, there would have been something that was missing for generations. And therefore, Hill pushed himself to make sure that he didn't miss a single word in this space medrash from his Rebbe. And only because he pushed himself did he become Hillel, who became obviously the forerunner of base Hillel. That schuss came about because he was machshev, not just his Rubeim, but the concept that they represented within Messiah. And therefore, what we, what we have is an interesting concept that the idea of a Rav, of a Rebbe, is not just simply a spiritual leader. It's somebody who gives over, if you think about it, they give over psak halacha, but they give over hadracha. They give over hashkafa. They give over what a person is supposed to receive 
within their lives. And I would, I would argue that many people today go through their lives with very little, minimal interaction with the, the proper amount of interaction with Rabbanim. I think this applies to men and women. But the idea, if you just stop for a minute and say one second, there are people who represent a, a link all the way back to Harsinai. And that link is, is mine. They're all over. I just have to knock on their door and say, can I spend time with you? Can I ask you a question? Instead of me formulating on in my own mind what I think the answer might be, let me ask you, let me double check it with you. That is available to all of us. I remember I had a, a Seder a bunch of years ago with my family and I asked them at the time, I said, it says, I'm asking if this Seder could be a little different and rather than the children teaching our parents, which is what happens at most Siddharam, right? That the children sit down with like their 46,000 divrei taira. I'm asking if we could have one Seder where the parents teach to the, teach their children. Everyone looked at me like I was crazy. I said, I, maybe I'm just an old soul, but you know, the way I understand it simply is that this is a transmission from parents to children. That's not what happened. The children sit down and they're teaching their parents. Yeah, there's, there's this gematria and there's this, that, and there's, it's all very nice. It's, it's beautiful. And there's, eight days of Yantif to do every that a kid comes home from school with, which is very, very nice. But that's not the Lel HaSeder. The Lel HaSeder is the concept of Messiah. Messiah means the father transmits to the child, not that the child transmits, transmits to the father. And that idea is what Rafael Kanievsky says we are surrounded with every single day. People who represent the Messiah, and if you take the time to, to lower yourself, to listen to them, you should know that you have a tremendous opportunity in your life. Now, there's a very famous Gemara, which Rabbi Shal Salanter says should not be taken. I'll call it literally, meaning to say that there's, there's, you, can, you can be misled by this Gemara, but Rabbi Shal Salanter explains this Gemara as follows. The Gemara says that they came to a certain town. We're talking here, the Tanayim and Amarayim. They came to a certain town, and they, they told the people in the town that when you bake matzahs, you should use Mayim Shalanu. Now, the word Shalanu is Sheh, that Lanu rested overnight. And when they make matzah, they take water and they leave it overnight. They leave it covered. And then the next day they use it to make matzah. The people in the town, they heard, you should use Mayim Shalanu, our water. Same word, different emphasis. So that day, the entire town lined up with buckets and they came to the Chachamim and they said, can you please fill up our buckets with your water? Okay, that's what they did. And they said, no, 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 no. That's not what we meant. We meant shalanu, take any water. It just should rest overnight. And they said, oh, oh, okay, okay. And Rizal Salanter says this Gemara is so powerful. And again, when I, when I was thinking about this, I was like, I don't even think we could relate to this. But Rizal Salanter says, there's such beauty in the fact that they came to the Chachamim and they said, okay, last year we didn't use your water. The year before we didn't use your water. Why would we need to use your water? They didn't do that. They said, you're the Tanayim, you're the Amirayim, you are the greatest rabbis. You're saying I should use your water? No problem. I will use your water. They were mavato das. They just, okay. No problem. That's what you said? We'll do it. And, and Rabbi Sol Santos says, that is the purpose of this Gemara. By the way, where is this Gemara said? Gemara Msafim, where it talks about literally the concept of Messiah. That is Messiah, right? Why do we eat matzah? Because this is what our forefathers ate. The idea of Messiah, they're tapping into Messiah. We're making matzah 
no problem. You told me I should do this. I'll do it this way. Absolutely not a problem. I, I, I think humbly that this idea is so foreign. It's so foreign. It's so foreign. I see even when, when you hear certain people ask Shilas, it's almost like they tell the Shilas. They, they give the answer. This is what I want from you, Rabbi. This is, this is the answer I want. I want you to give me a heter for this. They don't say, is this mutter? Is this aser? Whatever you say, I'll do. They, they don't, it, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying certain people. There's not even a concept of this. What should you feel about this? What should you say about this? There's so many people. They have their, their, their own das, which is good. It's good to be smart. It's good to ask questions. It's good to formulate ideas. It's good to discuss these ideas with your spouse, your parents. All wonderful ideas. Great. But the idea that you're asking someone who represents, literally represents the Messiah, and you're going over to them, whether it's halakhically or hashkafically, you're going over to them, and you're saying to them, this is what I think. It's so trait. That's not asking a shayla. I remember Rabbi Berkowitz, somebody once asked him something, and when they asked the question, they said it in a certain way that Rabbi Berkowitz took that the person was really asking him for an opinion. Meaning they came over to him and they said, what would you say? He said, oh, you're polling the man on the street? I'm sorry, I don't take polls. You have a shayla? You want to ask me? No problem. You'll listen to my psaac? No problem. You think I'm like the man on the street? Like, we're going to ask the Palestinian protesters about, who cares? Is it? You're just like asking some random person that, that's not what Psach Halacha is. That's not what Hashkafa is. That's not what being the Vato, your Das is. Subjugating your mind to this person. That's the concept of Emunas Chachamim. That's the concept of literally listening to somebody else. Lowering yourself. Being the Vato, your Das to this person. Not telling them what you think the answer should be. There's a, there's a Gemara here, which it, 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 I think this highlights it so beautifully. The Gemara says that Rabbi Yechanan gave a shir. And at the shir, he said that one day, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is going to come along and he's going to take these massive gemstones, 30 amos by 30 amos, and he's going to cut doorways in the middle that are 20 amos by 10 amos. Let's say amos a, a, a foot and a half, right? So you're talking 45 feet by 45 feet. Massive. And then he's going to cut doors that are 30 feet by 15 feet, right? My math is good? Yeah? Good. Thank you. Okay. Need a job? <laughs> I'm joking. Okay. Right? So, so that's what Rabbi Yechman said. And there was one Talmud that was sitting there, you know, rolling his eyes a little bit, not really listening. Like, okay, yeah, it's very nice, cute Gemara, but yeah, yeah very nice. The Gemara says that he went on a boat, and on the boat, he had like a vision. And he sees that there's malachim that are cutting massive gemstones. And he said to them, what are you doing? And they said, we're cutting gemstones. There's going to be these huge gemstones that are going to be set up. And Kali is going to walk through these magnificent gemstones. So, wow. I couldn't believe it. So he came back and he said to Rechanan, he said, you know, I thought you were exaggerating. I didn't believe you. Because like a gemstone, maybe it's, you know, you watch, you got, you got a gemstone. I'm saying, how big is it? Small, little tiny thing. I didn't even think they made gemstones so big. But now that I saw this, you should know, I'm, I'm ready to listen. Go ahead. Like, what's the next Gemara? Like, teach me, Rabbi. And Rabbi Yechanan looked at him and he said, teach you? You're nothing. The Gemara actually says that he looked at him and, and, and the, the man died. 
just fell on the floor. He died. So he said, you're nothing. Your mom is nothing. You understand the, the bizarre of Tamid Chachamim you just did? Oh, now that I came to this conclusion, yeah, the rabbi's right. The rabbi's right? Who are you to even put your brain into Rabbi Yechanan? Rabbi Yechanan was the, was the, the author of Talmud Yerushalmi. Rabbi Yechanan was the greatest of the great in his, in his generation. He lived in Eretz Yisrael. Rabbi Yechanan, you agree with Rabbi Yechanan? You're not a Talmud. You're nothing. You're, you're dead. You're, 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 your voice is just saying things that just don't compute in the mind. But again, I think I think that we unfortunately maybe live in a generation where it's so prevalent for people to have their opinions on things. Where even I would say that this Talmud was maybe a step up because he agreed with Rabbi Yitzchak, which is an act of insane chutzpah. But the, the level down from this is that we don't agree with Rabbi Yitzchak. We don't agree with the words that Chachamim are saying, and that is such a reality. I remember I I was on a bunch of panels that have to do with Shadokim. And the question came up many, many times, the idea of pictures in Shadokim. And for years, I I was adamantly against it. I I would I would say very derogatory things about that. And even though some people I'll say on the right or the left. We're saying like, yeah, you could, you should. To me, like it was it was a non-starter issue. Then there was something that happened. I'll tell you what it was in a minute. And then and then I changed my perspective on it. So I spoke somewhere and somebody called me out on it. They came over and they said, one second, I was at a different speech where you were there, and this is not what you said then. You you changed. What changed? I told them, I said, what changed was Revelia Brudney. Revelia Bruni was asked this question on the Ola Sarla Shabbaton last year, and there's another one coming up this January. Little plug for them. And at the thing, Revelia Bruni was asked, "Is it proper for a girl to send out her picture with her resume?" That was the question. And he very wisely said, "Balanced there." He encompassed in a short answer like the whole subject. He said as follows. He said, I I hold that it's it's part of it's part of a person's established today to send out the picture. But if a person feels belittled by the fact that they have to send out their picture, it they're not missing their established. They're still doing their established. That was his answer. If you feel that it's the wrong thing for yourself, then you shouldn't do it. But I feel that it's part of his today. That was his answer. Very profound answer. Now, I've thought of this question for a very long time before I gave my original answer, right? But Revelia Bruni is Revelia Bruni. And when he says that this is the answer and this is the has- this is the hashkafa, then to me, game over. We're just repeating, we're parroting, we're transmitting what the Gadol Adar says. That's it. That's it. And there will be people that will say, yeah, but this, this is all wonderful. And you could go take, like, poll the man on the street. It's very, very nice. And you could have Twitter polls and WhatsApp polls. You can do all, they're all wonderful. But if you want to know what is proper hashkafa, you go to people who represent proper hashkafa. And they give over. They, 
to me, it was brilliant in the balance, the balance, the sensitivity of the people that don't and the understanding of the people that do in one sentence. It blew my mind away. Unfortunately, he doesn't go to all the panels that, let's say, I go to. So, right? <laughs> so he's not spreading it as fast as, so we have to transmit what he's saying. It's, it's genius. We all live in a world where we're inundated with information, inundated with information. You know, even this whole attack that happened a month ago, I think we all saw it coming, especially once we went through COVID. Because in the beginning of COVID, you thought this is like a world crisis. Everyone's going to like sing Kumbaya and it's going to be like, we're all in this together, right? And you saw like those clips of people like in Italy and all these countries that were singing songs off their balcony together. You're like, ah, this is going to bring around like world peace. I'm saying it's amazing, right? And it took just a few weeks, a few weeks before the controversy right, started coming in. Should we wear masks? Should we not? Should we lock down? Should we not? Should we have a minion? Should we not? And within like five minutes, like, like you had camps everywhere of every opinion of everything. That's human nature. That's, that's how we live. Same thing with Hamas. Like you, you, you saw in Bar Hashem, I think in Eretz Yisrael, you see the Achdus is still there. But within the world, first day, wow. The Jewish people suffered. It's just terrible. And like five minutes later, like the Palestinian children are suffering. Like they don't like, but, but you forgot what happened a month ago. No, but can we talk about the Palestinian children? In, in a second, like the world turned their narrative from this to that. And it, it's like unbelievable how it, it, it's good. It's good for people to have, to have seichel, to talk, to think. You know, conversation is important. But the idea of having a rock solid hashkafa a rock solid messiah, something that you really you can you can rely on, is is so valuable. Now, what was that cynical voice in my head saying? Because of course I'm not cynical, right? That that voice in my head was saying, but one second, who says that everything that a rub says? Who says this rub says this and this rub says that? So there's a mishnah. And the mishnah says aselach rav. Mishnah perkevet. When it says Aselacha Rav, the Mishnah says three things over there. Okay. First thing the Mishnah says is Aselacha Rav. Make for yourself a Rav, a Rebbe. Right. And also, the Mishnah says, the Histalik Menhasafik. Remove yourself from doubtful things, which we have to interpret what that means. And the third thing is the Mishnah says, the Altarba Laasher Amadais. And don't take off Miser with guesstimation. Like, make sure that when you take off Trumas and Miser, that you do it exactly. So three like seemingly unrelated things. But Rabbeinu Yaina says that the first two are actually one and the same. And he says as follows. He says, this is a directive to Rabbanim. And he says, Rav, Aselecha Rav. The only thing that makes you a Rav is the fact that you are a continuity of the Messiah. So therefore, Aselecha Rav. Why should the Rav make himself a Rav? Because the Rav doesn't necessarily have an expertise in every area of life. He may not know clarity on every area of life. The histalic menas suffolk, and then therefore you as a Rav and the people who are asking you will be removed from doubt as to the words that you're saying. They'll see the brilliance. They'll see the anivas. They'll see the confidence. How many Rabbanim, you ask them a question, they say, oh, this is not for me. This is for that Rav over there. Oh, that's a good question. Let's call the doctor. Good Rabbanim, great Rabbanim, Rashi Yeshiva, Paiskim, when you really ask big people, they, they actually lower themselves. 
when they understand this, this is something I can deal with and this is something that is not for me. It's for somebody else. The idea of being able to question, I said this story before and I'll say it again because I think it's an incredibly powerful story. I had a meeting with Rav Liyasha, and a number of things happened at that meeting, but one thing which stuck out to me was I had a certain kasha on a Gemara, on a, it's actually Shulchan Aruch, I was, I was learning, and I asked Rabbi Yashiv, I said, what's the halach in this in this case? And he gave me an answer. And I said, oh, but the shach says this. The shach says something. And he said, he, he just machtadak. He just went like this. He just So Rabbi Frati, his gabai, who's a tremendous rav and tamafacham, he motioned for me to not to push the point. He just went like this. Don't push it. Okay. When we left, I asked Rabbi Rav Frati, who was Mishamash Revelyashiv for so many years, I said, isn't my kasha a good kasha? What about the shah? So he said, he learned, he said, about Revelyashiv. He said, Revelyashiv learned that shah over 400 times. He knows the shah. He knows the kavana of the shah. He knows where the shah is coming from. He said, his psaq is different because of this and this and this. So I said, okay, but could you explain to me? And I had a question. He said, oh, you're asking sincerely? Courts had explained, I could explain it to you. And he sat with me for like 10 minutes and he explained to me the whole sugya. And he said, you're coming from here. So you're thinking this, but he's coming from there and he's saying this. And his psaac is based on this and this and not that and the other thing. It blew me away. Our, our job is to listen. Listen, listen with our ears. And when you hear somebody of any stature who's an expert, they represent a link in the Messiah in a certain area. The idea, the ability to listen to them. And oftentimes you'll find them listening to you, asking you, questioning you. What's your motivation for this question? Why are you asking this? What do you really need? You're asking for a hetar. Why do you need a hetar? Let's talk this through a little bit more. Let's understand that there is a balanced approach. Is is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. But I think that unfortunately so many people don't take advantage of the fact that we're surrounded by Rabbanim, the fact that we have people to ask in so many different areas. And it struck me that if I were to say to you, what is a rav? What is a rebbe? You think the answer is somebody gives over psak halafa, somebody gives over hashkafa. All true, right? But the Mishnah says, You should become from the talmidim of aranakayim. Moshe Rabbeinu, of course, right? We know you want to be a talmud of Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, it's a good rebbe to have. It should be a Talmud of Aaron Atayin. Why? Because he was Ayev Shalom Veroidev Shalom. That was his shear. Rev Aaron. Aaron Hakayin. Aaron Hakayin shear was let me teach you how to make Shalom between two people. Aaron Hakayin shear was let me teach you how to really love somebody else. That was his shear. And the Mishnah says, not only is Moshe Rabbeinu your Rebbe? Not only should a person listen to the Psach Halacha and the Hashkafa, the emotion. What should I feel? How should I feel this? I'm not feeling this. What should I do about developing these feelings? My friend is crying and I'm laughing. How do I deal with that? This is all part of a person living their life to the max, which is what it means to be a Torah Yish. It doesn't mean that there's me and then there's the rabbi in the front and then if I need something from him, I need somebody with shoulders to tell me that I'm allowed to eat on a day that I don't know if I'm supposed to eat. I need a hetter. I tell him, Rabbi, I can eat. Yeah, you could eat. Okay, great, wonderful. That's my relationship with my rabbi. Not your rabbi. 
not your rabbi. He doesn't know you. He doesn't know your struggles. He doesn't know what you're going through. Having a person who you're close with, who you're able to open up to, who you're able to really create a kesher with, I think is so, so, so important. And I, I, I sat with a group of people and they, they made a comment to me, which I thought was very, very interesting. It was a group of girls. And they said that Bachram boys have such a connection to Mashkichim and Rabbanim and people who just are there for them. They're just there for them. Us girls, though, in a certain way, want it more than the boys. So we're drinking it up from like wherever we could get our hands on it. And the boys, they're surrounded by it. But some girls were saying this about guys that they were dating, that it's almost like it's staring you in the face. And like, you didn't ask your mashkiach. Somebody didn't prepare you for this date. They didn't tell you to say yes or no. Many people do take advantage of this. You're surrounded by the people. How did you not grab onto him? And I think that it's for all of us. It's the idea of understanding that there are people that they have a Messiah. They have a Messiah in relationships. They have a Messiah in soft. They have a Messiah in, a, in, in how a person should feel about everything in the world. And when we, when we are machnia ourselves to that, when we lower ourselves to that, it just helps us to recalibrate in our minds. Who am I supposed to be? And how am I supposed to live my life? And if a person does that, there's a certain shmira. There's a certain beauty. There's a certain attachment to the fact that we are Kala Yisrael and to the fact that we have a Messiah. And if a person connects to that, they're really able to live, live their lives to the fullest. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.